Hey, what's going on, Who That Nation? It is your truly TJ Jones, the host of the State of the Saints podcast. And I have a special guest with me once again on the State of the Saints podcast. We have John DeShazer. Hey, how you doing, John? I'm good, man. Pleasure to be back. Uh, glad you had me. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Uh, this is a busy week for you all, uh, especially you're covering the New Orleans Saints. Uh, get getting uh prepared. I mean, for the biggest game of the week, you know, everybody's talking about this game, Saints versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But there are several storylines coming out of New Orleans, of course. At the start with Alvin Kamara, uh, we know that uh, he is trying to get a new contract. Uh, we heard some things, uh, we heard that uh, he was holding out, then he said that he never held out a day in his life. Uh, so I want to know. Uh, what do you think about Elvin Kamara's contract and will the New Orleans Saints have a contract for him by week one? Yeah, I think he's going to be done. Um, looks like all the reports are suggesting that it'll be done before game one. Um, oh, he did an interview and, and people asked him about him. He didn't want to get into it. And <laughs> that's the man's prerogative. If man don't want to talk about his money, he don't want yeah. his money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I'll leave that to him. But I mean, you know, he, you know, we saw him in camp. He looked good. Now, the the, the alternative was he had a back issue, uh, and that he had an epidural shot, and so you know he needed some relief from that. And uh, from all reports, you know, and from you know physical seeing him, he was on campus, you know, at the facility. So you know, I guess technically or theoretically, it was not a holdout. You know, he <laughs> been injured. As he said, he was uh, so. You know, hopefully, in in the end, all's well that ends well. If the guy gets his contract, he's going to be happy. The team's going to be happy because you know, look, the Saints now and in the immediate future are going to need Alvin Kamara. He is the new age type NFL running back, uh, the guy who can do a little bit of everything. And so, you got to have that kind of guy with that kind of versatility on the field to help your offense. Whether it's Drew Brees, whether it's going to be uh, Taysom Hill, whether it's going to be Jameis Winston. We saw it last year with Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, he is the type player who can make, I don't care who the quarterback is, if he doesn't make him a whole lot better, he's going to at least improve that offense. So you know, he's one of those guys who's, who's pretty critical to what you do offensively. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I think sometimes people want to see a circus, right? They want to see yeah. a, a whole bunch <laughs> of controversy. They want to see guys holding out. They want to see guys doing push-ups in their driveway like T.O. You know, oh, my uh, God. <laughs> they want to see controversy, John. And, uh, I mean, Alvin Kamara hasn't given them any. You know, the fact is, uh, you know, he was at the facility. I mean, I believe him. I hope everybody else believe him. And I'm glad that the Saints and Alvin Kamara can come to some type of mutual agreement to say, hey, we're going to give you your money, you know, just bear with us, and we're going to get this deal done. So I, I, I'm – for that, I'm appreciative and I'm glad that, you know, they're not buying into this this, this circus that could possibly happen. Well, uh, he's, been, he's been around long enough to where he's seen several players from the Saints get paid. So he, the organization takes care of the guys who take care of this football team. And he's one of those guys. So, you know, he has every reason to believe that he's going to be taken care of, too. Yeah. I mean, they have to take care of him. I mean, from what he did last season, I mean, him coming out saying he was playing at about 73%, I mean, yeah. and left it all on the field. I mean, to be a team player like that, I mean, that's the type of guy you want in your locker room uh, for a long time. Yeah, uh, but, absolutely. I mean, but he wasn't the only storyline. We have to talk about Jadavion Clowney. Now, <laughs> now Jadavion Clowney, I mean, this was 
this was crazy, man. Uh, this was one of those uh, one of those situations where you had one guy. We really wasn't sure where he was going to go. Was he going to go to New Orleans? Was he going to go to Tennessee? Was he going to go to Baltimore? I mean, there was a chance that he could have went to the Cleveland Browns for a day. I, yeah. What What do you think about Jadavion Clowney? And what What do you think about the Saints trying so desperately tried to to get him in the organization and then not uh, panning out the way they wanted it to? Yeah, well, fortunately for the Saints, I don't know if you can say the Saints need him, but man, you sure want to do like that if you can get. Uh, so they tried to, you know, they tried to end the round. They tried the three team deal, and you know, and the NFL, you know, basically looked at it and said, "Well, you know, this looks pretty good." And then the NFL looked at it and said, "No, we're not going to let this go." But for Clowney, for him, a dude with his services to still be on the market, he had a chance to pick from three really good teams. It uh, looks like Baltimore, Tennessee, and the Saints, and. You know, all things being equal, if all things were equal in his mind, you know, he wanted to get paid, obviously. And so he he probably was able to get the most money. But, you know, the Saints can get creative, man. Uh, Mickey Loomis, the general manager, and Kai Harley, uh, who's basically in charge of the salary cap, are two of the most creative minds in football. I mean, these dudes play check. They play chess. You know, <laughs> everybody else might be dealing with checkers, but they play chess. And they figure out ways. Uh, to get this team what it needs. And, you know, hey, sometimes they kick the can down the road and you say, well, eventually it's going to catch up to them. Well, people have been saying that about the same salary cap for about 10 years, and it still hadn't caught up to them, and it still hadn't prevented them from really either keeping a guy they really want or getting the free agent guy that they really want. Uh, so, you know, they tried to be creative with it, couldn't quite pull it off. You know, you, t- you tip your cap to them, and you tip your cap to Tennessee to be able to get it. Yeah. I mean, the Saints tried to do everything they could to try to make sure that they actually have him uh, inside of the building. I mean, even from Sean Payton uh, going out to his house, getting a good gourmet di- uh, meal, going <laughs> Every- anything they could do to possibly bring him to the organization, they tried. But, I mean, it just didn't pan out. But, I, I mean, this is- isn't one of those things where Saints fans should be, you know, so upset. I mean, because the Saints still have depth at that position, which leads me to my next question about Marcus Davenport. Uh, how motivated do you think he has to be at, at the Saints really going out here trying to get to Davion Clowney, a guy that plays the same exact position as him? Isn't that like the Saints saying, uh, we need to see more out of you? Well, I mean, they do need to see more out of him. Now, he's been helped because he's been injured. And, and, and the best and most important ability is availability. Mm. Fortunately for Marcus, he hadn't been available uh, these first three seasons. He's been nicked up. He's been hurt. Uh, Some of the injuries have been somewhat major. He hadn't been able to finish the whole season. And so, you know, if you're the Saints, you're looking at it saying, you know what, we we love this guy, but you can't ever in the NFL have too many defensive ends who can rush the passer. And you sure, if you can get a a Jadavian Clowney and add him to your NASCAR rush package, you're going to do that. But Marcus has got to stay healthy. We've seen flashes out of him now. Mm. Seen he got some ability. For a tall dude um, who looks kind of lean, he's added some weight, but he's strong. Uh, he's fast. He's extremely athletic, but he's just got to stay healthy. And, and that's easy for me to say, you know, I'm sitting in a chair. Ain't nobody, you know, bumping into me. <laughs> but, you know, that's football. He's just he's got to be available. He's got to be out there. And when he's out there, he can wreak some havoc. Because when you got Cam on one end, Cam Jordan, and you've got Sheldon Rankins and David on Yamada and Malcolm Brown and those guys in the middle, and you got him on the other end, man, there's a lot of opportunity there to cash in, but you just have to stay healthy. Uh, that's the biggest thing with Marcus. He's got to play 
14, 15 games. In the NFL, it's hard to expect somebody to play every game unless it's Cam Jordan, who's some or some Cam, some kind of freak or something. But almost everybody else miss a game. And, and Marcus needs to get into that 14 to 15 game range, I believe, to really be effective and really leave an impression out there. He can do it, but he got to stay healthy. Yeah, but I'm mean, going to ask you this, John. Uh, do you think that the Saints uh, really – tried to go out and get a guy almost similar to the guy that they actually have in Davenport. I mean, you look at Davenport, it seems like he and Jadavion Clowney are kind of the same type of guys. And especially if you look at the first two years of, of their careers, I mean, Jadavion Clowney was one of those guys that was a freak of nature, something like Marcus Davenport is, but he dealt with injuries. So do you think that was – well, even though he's not with the Saints, but do you think that was a, a smart decision trying to get a guy almost similar to the guy that they have and also the same type of history that, that he has? Well, yeah, because this is where you cover yourself. You put him in the rotation with Cam and, and Trey Hendrickson. I forgot to throw his name in there. You put him in the rotation with Cam, Trey Hendrickson, and Marcus. And the best thing for him is you cut down some of Marcus's snaps so you you can keep him fresher longer, hopefully. And if you can split him and Clowney, two dudes who have had both had some injury issues, if you can lessen the chance of them getting injuries by lessening their snaps, and then you can maybe get a little bit more production out of both of them or at least keep them fresher. Now, neither one of them might end up with 10 or 11 sacks, but both of them end up with seven. Then you take that and you run with it because you know Cam's going to give you double figures on the other side. And, you know, you got to get some production out of the middle. So that's why you go and get another guy. Because, again, you can't have too many guys who rush the passer. And then you mitigate your circumstances, hopefully your injury circumstances, by getting another fresh body so you can cut down that injury possibility. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think that Marcus Davenport, I think a lot of people aren't giving him uh, enough credit. I mean, this guy can be really, really special. Like you said, the best ability is availability. It's about being out there on the field to show everybody what you have. But I'm not – I can't give up on this guy. I mean, what, when he is on the field, you can tell he's out there. And I understand what the defensive end position is all about. I mean, we don't really pay attention to tackles for loss, and we definitely don't pay attention that much to setting the edge. But those are two things that he really does well. I mean, he can get those tackles for loss. He can get those hurries, and he can set the edge. I think – I think if you look at somebody like Davenport, the first two years of his career, I mean, they're better than the guy that we that we know and respect and Cam Jordan. So I think if he stays healthy, if he stays healthy, like you said, I think that I think he can have a better career than David and Clowney. I, I said that. I mean, I'm I'm that confident. He's got he's got some monster talent, but like you said, he just got to stay on the field. Now, you know, I don't know if the Saints are going to have to find, you know, their own little Mr. Miyagi who, you know, Get hurt, take him in the back, and put a little fire on his leg. I don't know, but you got, yeah, you got to get, you got to be on the field, and that, and that's the main thing with him. You just got to be on the field because even if he's not healthy, and in 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 the NFL, nobody is a hundred percent healthy after about week two. <laughs> so, so you just got to be able to whatever the injury is. Hopefully, it's not so devastating to where it's got to send you to surgery. Because once you get to surgery, once you get to the surgery part. Then that you know that's really going to affect the season, right? I, I agree. I, I definitely agree. Uh, you mentioned uh, week two, uh, but now it's time to talk about number two, which is the number two quarterback, Taysom Hill. Now this was a shock to a lot of people because you know Jameis Winston is a guy who came from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 
threw for over 5,000 yards, 30 touchdowns. We know about the 30 interceptions, but he was a starter. And a lot of people thought that he was, was going to be the backup uh, to Drew Brees. What do you think the uh, decision was behind Taysom Hill being the number two quarterback? Well, I think people were shocked, but they shouldn't have been. And, and here's why. And as soon as they signed him, you know, the, the first thing that came to my mind, and I probably, and I told a couple of people, you know, off the record type, but I told a couple of people, I didn't think he was going to be the backup quarterback immediately because he didn't have that offseason, mm. didn't have the OTAs, you didn't have the mini camps, you didn't have the quarterback camps or, or you know, schools or whatever it is. So those were hundreds of throws and hundreds of reps he didn't get. And so you squeeze them all in in training camp, and now you come into a brand-new system. Now, he's got the arm talent. My God, does he have the arm. But Taysom Hill knows the system, and they've pretty much installed a system that features Taysom Hill's talents more so than, you know, Jameis's. You know, you, you, you're just getting the guy, so it's hard to kind of cater what you do to what he does. But Taysom Hill's been around long enough to where you've catered some things specifically to him. So he was going to be more comfortable uh, at the quarterback position during this training camp because he's had more reps doing what he does in this offense than Jameis Winston has had reps doing what he was asked to do in, in this offense. Now, again, if you if you're talking about just pure throwing ability, man, Jameis Winston can he can throw it like few people I've ever seen. He can make some bad body throws that you look at and your eyes get big and you're like. You know, they, they they might be three, four people in the world who can do that. Wow. And familiarity with what he's doing in the offense and missing those reps in the OTAs and, and minicamp. I just thought that was that was way more valuable. And pe- you know, it's easy to think that you can just drop a guy to an offense or drop a guy into a defense and immediately he can do what you want to do. You might be able to get away with that some on defense at maybe on the defensive line. You just tell the guy, OK, go get the quarterback. But for most of these most of these positions, it just takes a whole lot of it. And, you know, you could see it in Jameis where the timing just wasn't there with someone with the receivers all the time. And again, that's just hundreds of throws that he wasn't able to make. Yeah. Uh, Well, do you think that this is just a a short term solution? And and do you feel like Taysom Hill is going to be the, the, the number two quarterback all season long? Or do you feel like. When, once Jameis get acclimated to the offense, uh, once he gets familiar with the playbook, then the Saints might, uh, you know, promote him to the number two position. I mean, be that. Um, I'm pretty sure we're going to see Taysom Hill in his Swiss Army knife role. Do you think he, uh, Jameis, uh, might end up being the number two uh, as the season progresses? Well, I think it could be fluid because there's going to be competition there throughout because the longer Jameis is around, the more familiar he's going to get with the offense and the more comfortable he's going to get with it. So, if you get to a certain situation where maybe Taysom Hill's got to play in a, in a game, game and a half or whatever, he doesn't perform. You got Jameis there who maybe four or five weeks into the season might be a whole lot more comfortable and have his timing down a whole lot more with his receivers. And so then you might be able to explore that and say, okay, he's far enough along in here to where, you know, he's got a pretty good grasp of this. Now there's some things you can do with him that maybe you can't do with Drew, or maybe you can't do with Taysom because, He's a dude who, you know, if, if he's right, he can fit it in. I mean, he can fit it in some small, tight windows. He's got that kind of ability. So you might be able to do some things with him that maybe you can't do with the other quarterbacks. But I think it's going to be a competition going forward. Um, 
I don't know what's going to happen next offseason, but if you project forward, you know, if he doesn't play a lot this season, he gets back on the open market. Well, how much is he going to be able to command financially? So the Saints might be a good situation for him to come back to to where he can really get into a true full competition if he's got a full offseason. And who, if, if you're a quarterback in the NFL and you get a chance to run the Saints offense, who wouldn't want that? Mm. What the Saints have? You got, if you got Michael Thomas and you got Jared Cook and you got, and you got Emmanuel Sanders and you got Alan Kamara, who wouldn't want a piece of that? So if you're Jameis Winston and you're looking to the future and you're saying, you know what, what keys to what franchise would I like to have? Well, I can't imagine there being a whole lot better places than the Saints. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really feel like Sean Payton uh, brought Jameis in, not just for him just to uh, sit behind Drew Brees just for a short period of time. I, I think he looks at Jameis as being a possible successor to Drew Brees. I mean, I, I just know the type of person uh, Sean Payton is. I mean, just the way that he operates, he doesn't bring anybody in just for, you know, just a, a short-term lease. You know, like I, I think that he, he sees longevity. I think he's seen longevity in Teddy Bridgewater. It just didn't pan out the way that they wanted it to. Now you have an opportunity really at a second chance. And a lot of people think that, you know, once he uh, get the turnovers uh, situated, he, he might have he might have been better than what Teddy Bridgewater would have been for the Saints. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing how he is going to progress. Uh, you know, some of the decision making. Uh, we know about some of the things that he did in the offseason. I mean, he lost the weight. You know, you talk about he got LASIK and everything like that. Things that uh, he felt would help him uh, be a better quarterback. So. I don't think that this is going to be over. Even if Taysom Hill ends up being the number two quarterback throughout the whole entire season, uh, I think Jameis is a uh, competitor. I think he would come back to try to compete for that number two uh, spot uh, because I feel like, you know, like you said, who wouldn't want to play in the New Orleans Saints offense and who would not want to be coached by arguably one of the best play callers in all of football in Sean Payton. Uh, The the wide receiver uh, competition uh, was uh, really, really tough. Uh, at training camp a lot of people were trying to plug and play who they felt was going to be you know part of the starting rotation for the Saints wide receivers to me John the shocker was the Saints not bringing back Emmanuel Butler and going with uh, Marquez uh, Calloway Uh, being at camp and seeing some of the things that you saw why did why didn't the Saints decide to bring Emmanuel Butler back and why was Calloway the best uh, the best option because Callaway is better at special teams, and, that, and that's it. If if you're going by receiving skills, they might be even. Emmanuel Butler might be even a, 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 a shade better, but Callaway could immediately contribute on special teams, and that and that's critical. If you're going to be the number four or five receiver, you got to be able to play special teams because you're not going to be playing a whole lot of snaps on offense. So you got to pick up your value somewhere else. And if you think about you know, what's going to happen with special teams where maybe Taysom Hill doesn't play as many special teams anymore because he's, you know, the backup quarterback. Well, who can go out there and do what Taysom Hill does on special teams, you hope? Well, maybe that's going to be a Callaway. You plug him in out there. But he was better in special teams than Emmanuel. Emmanuel was a stud last year in training camp, and then he got injured and that set him back, and he never really caught up and fulfilled what we hoped he was going to fulfill because you know, looking at him last year, you know, folks were, folks were comparing Emmanuel Butler to Marcus Colston. Wow. It was that kind of player in last year's training camp. And even he said, you know, hey, I got tape of Marcus Colston. That's who I'm kind of modeling myself after. But Callaway was just so much more better, so much more advanced in special teams where, you know, every year with the Saints, 
there's maybe a guy or two who make the team specifically because of special teams. We saw a couple of years with JT, a couple of years ago with JT Gray. Uh, last year was Deontay Harris. This year is Marquez Callaway. Uh, guys who you just put out there who say you, who you say you know what this part of the game is so important to us and this dude is so good at it he'll make this team just because he can play special teams and in a pinch in an emergency yeah he might get out there out there and get some snaps at receiver but mainly he's on this team to play special teams. Yeah, uh, do you think it's a possibility that the New Orleans Saints may bring back Emmanuel Butler? I mean, I know there I don't know if there's a, a spot on the practice squad just yet, but who's to say that? You know, if he's still out there, uh, you know, and somebody ends up getting hurt, do you see him coming back to the New Orleans Saints? Well, absolutely it can happen. And especially in the case you just mentioned, if somebody gets hurt, you receivers get hurt, man. They they get hurt just like everybody else. Dudes get hurt, and you got to bring in somebody. And the best thing to do if you're a franchise is bring in somebody who's already familiar with what you do and who's pretty good at it. And Emmanuel Butler was pretty good at it. Like I said, he was a good receiver. I just don't think he was going to be able to help him a whole lot on special teams. But if, you know, knock wood and you hope it doesn't happen, but if one of the receivers happens to go down or for some reason, say Callaway doesn't perform under the lights as well as you hope he would during the regular season, you look back at maybe Emmanuel Butler and say, okay, we'll bring him back in and we'll see if we can, we can get him to do some of this stuff on special teams. Callaway was just better at it in training camp. Yeah. uh, I I look at Emmanuel Butler. I mean, I, I don't know if they might get opportunity. I mean, just looking at this guy's size and weight, somebody's going to look at this guy and say, well, I think we can do something with him. So it, it would be a shock to me uh, if this guy doesn't get picked up by somebody by the end of the week. But if he doesn't, um, I would like to see him in the Saints uniform. I know he became like a, a, a Saints fan favorite. You know, like they, people were really invested uh, in his progress. And I was one of them. You know, I really thought that he would have turned the corner. Um, I, I kind of like the whole red shirt year that the Saints gave him. I thought maybe that would help him. Uh, the game may have uh, slowed down for him. You know, I mean, coming from a school like Northern Arizona, you know, I think sometimes, you know, guys, you know, the, the lights can get a little bit too bright for him. But, uh, you know, I think there's a possibility that he may come back, but I, I, that'll be a shock to me. I mean, 6'4", 225 pounds. I mean, <laughs> I mean that, that's something that a lot of teams are not going to be able to say no to. Uh, I want to talk to you about week one, uh, the game of the week. Everybody's talking about it. National media, local media. Everybody's talking about Saints versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are doing everything that they can to make sure that things are comfortable for Tom Brady, including uh, bringing in a hometown favorite, Leonard Fournette. Uh, you've uh, followed the New Orleans Saints for a long time, and I'm pretty sure you watched a lot of LSU football. So, I mean, you're familiar with Leonard Fournette. How dangerous is he uh, um, in a Tampa Bay uniform? How how dangerous do you think he is? And do you think it's going to be a huge problem for the Saints in week one? Well, I think he's going to be a huge problem for everybody. And (laughs) and the huge problem is Tampa Bay can now, Tampa Bay can spread you out. Jacksonville couldn't. You know, Tampa Bay didn't have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Gronk to be able to put out there a receiver to make you thin and you can't stick eight in the box because you're looking at Fournette. You know, now Tampa Bay's got something to where they can spread you out and make it more of a fair fight. So he could be, he could be a devastating runner in Tampa Bay. um, Unlike he was in Jack. Now his rookie year in Jacksonville, he was, he was killing it, (laughs) but 
you know, people were able to kind of catch up to him because Tampa, because uh, Jacksonville didn't have a good quarterback situation. And so if you ain't got a good quarterback situation, and you ain't got receivers that anybody respect, you can stick eight in the box and say, okay, if you're going to beat us, throw it. You know, otherwise we're going to stack we're going to stack up in here and we're going to see, you know, because it's hard to tackle that dude one-on-one. We're going to put as many people in here as we can and we're going to hit him as much as we can. Right. You might not be able to do that the same way when you've got those kinds of weapons that Tampa Bay has to play with him. So this could be an opportunity. And I saw where he just said, you know, just said today that, you know, basically it's the first time in my NFL career I played with a quarterback. And that ain't no, (laughs) that ain't no slight, you know, to the guys he's played with, but you're talking about Tom Brady as opposed to, you know, Blake Bortles and and Gordon Minshew. And and, Hey man, you, that's, that's a jump. That's a jump. And now you're talking about playing with Rob Gronkowski and you're talking about playing with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. So now suddenly he's in an offense where he ain't even the main dude. He didn't have to worry about everybody stacking up to beat up on him. So he could be extremely effective um, against the Saints and everybody else. You know, now the Saints, you know, they, they got to do who you like as a counter in Demario Davis. And that could be a good, good, good matchup when those two are on the field because, you know, you don't see DeMario fearing no man and you don't see Leonard, you know, running away from no contact either. So, you know, you like to, you like to see that kind of matchup. But, man, he could be really, really good for Tampa Bay. And, and I don't want to see him be good in week one, <laughs> but he could be really good for them really quick. Yeah, I, I look at uh, the motivation they have. I mean, they're not going to be any fans in the stands. I mean, but – Coming home to your home uh, city and state, and, and you know, and getting an opportunity to play in the Superdome, uh, where you played in state championships. Uh, we know he went to Saint Og. I mean, everything you know, uh, it. I mean, everything is pointing towards him having a big game. Uh, but I hope he does it, like you said. I think Demario Davis is going to uh, rise to the occasion. Uh, I've seen, um, you know, when Dalvin Cook was taking over that game in a, in a wild card round last season. I seen DeMario Davis, I mean, stop him on the goal line. I mean, he he was, he was took he took it upon himself to make sure that uh, Delvin Cook remember who he was by the end of that game, even though the Saints were not on the receiving end of victory. I mean, DeMario Davis did his part, and we all know how special uh, he is. Uh, how big of a, um, how big of a, I guess, a, a issue uh, is it going to be for the New Orleans Saints, even though we know they have a home field advantage? Fans are not going to be in the stands. Do you think that's going to play a huge role in this game versus the Buccaneers? Well, it could. I mean, now, you know, players, you know, get motivated different ways. And, and I don't think they'll lack for motivation. But w- what you miss when you have fans is momentum. You know, you, you make a play, fans get crazy. And guys, you know, their adrenaline jumps. Now, there's two places in the NFL that I can think of where I really believe the fans make a make a significant difference. One it is Seattle, the link. Um, they, they, they make a difference there at that field um, because it's loud as I don't know what. And the Superdome. The Superdome um, can influence games. It makes it hard for, for offenses to hear. And when dudes on defense make a play or offense make a play, when that crowd gets going, you can feel it start rolling. And to not have that, so now you got to get it from your teammates on the sideline. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're cheering too during those games, but you hear those fans, man. You now imagine this. When one of those defensive guys gets a pick six or a fumble return for a touchdown, you know how they like to jump into the stands. Right. 
<laughs> you know how they love to do that, and the fans love when they do that. You know, and that just that that makes them roll a little bit harder, and makes them go a little bit harder. So now you make those plays, and yeah, you 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 professionals, you're playing you're playing for a living. Um, you're still going to keep up some intensity, but the fans make it a lot easier, and that's why teams were saying, you know, the the teams that do have fans early in the season, it might not be a whole lot, it might be thirteen thousand, might be fifteen, whatever it is, but they enjoy a competitive advantage because. You get that home feeling, and I don't care what nobody says. You get that home feeling, and those fans start cheering, and you feel it, and you hear it. When you don't have that, you don't have that physical presence, there, there is an advantage to the team that does have that that presence. Yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, I, I know how loud the Superdome can get. Uh, we know about, uh, you know, that that true don't feel advantage. I mean, I think it's going to play a little bit of a role, but – John, if you're good, you're good. I mean, you can play in the Superdome. I mean, you can play in uh, Raymond James. You can play on Planet Neptune. I mean, if you have the guys to uh, get the job done, you're going to get the job done. And I, I really think that the Saints, uh, you know, I understand everybody loves Tampa, what they have on paper. If we were playing John Madden football and we were simulating games, then I'd be a little bit concerned. But I do think the chemistry that the Saints have, the camaraderie that these guys have, the motivation of the disappointments over the last three years, you combine that with everything, especially, and also now you throw in the fact that we don't have no fans. I mean, that that's just something to add on to, to the motivation that they have. I mean, the saints trust and believe, you know, I mean, we know Sean Payton. I mean, he has ways of motivating these guys. These guys have won the division three straight years in a row and nobody's talking about them. Everybody's talking about Tom Brady Tom Brady being the first quarterback to lead his team to a home field uh, Super Bowl, uh, you know that has to motivate them somehow. But I just think that if you're good, you're good no matter where you play. And I, I really feel like the New Orleans Saints are, are going to uh, really be motivated uh, to make sure that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers remember them coming into the Superdome week one with Grady and Gronk and Fournette. And they're going to give them everything that they can possibly handle. Uh, but, John, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate you being a part of the State of Saints podcast. And before you go, uh, can you let everybody know how they can get in touch with you? Well, you can get me at Twitter, um, at John DeShazer, just regular old at John DeShazer. And, um, you know, if, if anybody's interested in, in following me on Facebook, you can get me there, too. <laughs> but uh, on Twitter, I don't I can't even remember the last time I looked at Facebook. But I'm mostly on Twitter, at John DeShazer. And, um, you know, hit me up and, and follow and, and keep up. Uh, thank you so much for your time, uh, Mr. John DeShazer, once again from NewOrleansSaints.com, the senior writer. Thank you very much for being a part of the State of the Saints podcast, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you uh, all season long. I appreciate you having me. Um, anytime you want, I'm here. Right, thank you so much.